everybody, and welcome to That Wrestling Show, the podcast where all pro wrestling matters. I'm your host, Bill Yankovey, and boy, do we have a good week here on That Wrestling Show. Going to be talking about the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. They just announced the class of 2022 overnight. I'm going to give my thoughts on the individuals that were announced, got inducted into the Observer Hall of Fame. Plus, I'm going to talk about why seeing tickets being sold for AEW and WWE events has been pretty good lately, in my opinion. Plus, going to preview Final Battle and NXT Deadline. Uh, before I get into uh, the news, I, I do want to talk about a couple of serious things, uh, a couple of serious health-related news going on. Uh, the first one I want to mention, and, and this is probably the one that everyone has been uh, talking about the last week, has been Barry Windham. Uh, Barry Windham last week suffered a major heart attack and was put in an I, in the ICU. But we do have some good news. His niece, Micah Rotunda, who is uh, Mike Rotunda's daughter, sent out a tweet this morning writing... Thank you to all who have reached out, prayed, contributed, and sent well wishes to my Uncle Barry this week. I wanted to give an update. I'm grateful to say he is stabilized and out of ICU, talking and able to stand. Thank you. Thanks again, everyone. There absolutely is power in prayer. Um, I do want to mention that there is a GoFundMe campaign going on to help uh, Barry Windham and his medical bills. They currently, as of this recording, have $29,535 raised with the goal being $200,000. That is their goal. Um, and I will put the link up in our Facebook group, uh, that Wrestling Show fan group, for anyone that wants to donate. Barry Windham, uh, to me is one of the most purest wrestlers I've ever seen. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. What I mean by purest wrestlers, I don't mean by like a Brian Danielson or a Zack Sabre Jr. where he does all these technical moves. He's just so pure in the ring. It's so natural to see him in the ring. It's like everything he does or everything he did in the ring. It's just so pure. So natural. That. It just doesn't look like he's putting any effort in. That's how good. Of a wrestler. Barry Windham was. And. That man was so smooth. For his height. I, th I think he's like. Six, 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 seven. I mean he was a pretty tall guy. And. You could make an argument, and probably a valid argument, that he belongs in the category of second-generation wrestlers who surpassed their parents in wrestling. His dad, of course, is Blackjack Mulligan. Um, I would say Barry Windham is the better wrestler between him and Blackjack Mulligan. Barry Windham 
is just so smooth in the ring. Watch any Barry Windham match. Either it be in Florida, in Mid-Atlantic, WWF, WCW, NWA, wherever. Barry Windham was a pro. He was a straight-up pro. And he was one of the few. He is one of the few wrestlers. And, and it's a small list. It's not a big list. Where Barry Windham is good as a baby face and a heel. He's believable in both roles. That's how good Barry Windham is. And to find out that he is out of ICU, that he's able to, you know, slowly get back to being his normal self is fantastic news to hear. I'm very glad. Uh, I, I it, You know, it's just a start. It's a, it's a long process. It's probably going to be a while before Barry is back to his normal self again. But the fact that he's out of ICU and the fact that he's able to talk is a start. That's a big, big start. And I'm very glad to hear that. Um, I think the, the, the whole love for Barry Windham has gotten bigger over these last several years because of his time in the Four Horsemen, either working for the Horsemen or against the Horsemen. Um, he's just a freaking natural. Like Dustin Rhodes, you know, Dustin Rhodes is the natural. We call him that. That's his nickname. But Barry Windham is a natural in the ring as well, and he's just so smooth, just a fantastic wrestler. And I'm glad to hear that he's out of ICU. That's very big. That's very important. And uh, hopefully he will make a full recovery in the very, very near future. My, I know I speak on behalf of all the fans that listen to this podcast. Our thoughts go out to Barry Windham and his family. Another story that came out this week, kind of sad news, but also at the same time, kind of good news. Uh, is that MLW wrestler Richard Holiday recently announced that he had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, Sports Illustrated reported this a few days ago and, and on Twitter, and I'll read this. In June, MLW star Richard Holiday started experiencing night sweats, extreme fatigue, and bouts of dizziness. Three months later, doctors finally figured out the cause, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Richard uh, went on to social media to go a little bit further, explaining this a little bit further, saying, For those who do not know, I have been battling a diagnosis of Hodgkin's lymphoma. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I would be diagnosed with cancer. Just know that I am resilient and I am going to beat this. Thank you, Sports Illustrated, for helping me tell my story. Um, this is a, a, a shocking story. This came out of nowhere because um, up until maybe six months ago, Richard Holiday was in a feud with... Alexander Hammerstone 
for the MLW World Heavyweight title, which is the biggest title in that promotion. And they had a good storyline going. They had a good storyline going. And then it seems like all of a sudden, um, like it, it just dropped. Like everything just dropped. And then he's off TV. We don't hear from him for a long time. And now we get the news that, you know, he has Hodgkin's lymphoma. You don't, you know, I know he's a heel and he's a pretty good heel. But you don't ever want to wish that on anybody. You really, really don't. It's, it's a sad thing to hear. And he's so young. I, I, I don't think he's even 30. I don't think he's even 30 years old. Um, and he has this disease. He has Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, it's just so sad that, you know, at 30 years old or under 30, it's amazing. And and I want to point this out. I want to read this part, um, in the article that Sports Illustrated did a couple days ago. And, And this is very important for those familiar with Holiday's bravado in the ring. It will hardly come as a surprise that he requested to immediately start chemotherapy during the very same discussion with his doctor that he learned his diagnosis. And his aggressive outlook did not change upon learning the diagnosis was stage 4 lymphoma. Holiday said, my plan is not to lose to lymphoma. My plan is to inspire people. I'm going to come out of this stronger and I'm going to let people know they can beat it too. Holiday is already halfway through his 12 rounds of chemotherapy. Man, that's just... Damn, I mean, you know... Like I said, it's something that you're never really prepared for I, I guess we could say in a, in a in a way you're never prepared for any kind of news like that but to be told you have Hodgkin's lymphoma and then to be told you have stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma that's about as damning of a blow as you could possibly get. But Richard Holiday is going to fight this. He's going to keep fighting. And our thoughts go out to him and his family. And hopefully we will have a better update on Richard Holiday in the near future because you know, we <laughs> you know, we we, we can't have these young people passing away, you know, at 30 and 29, it just, there just needs to be a way to find a cure for cancer. And hopefully someday, you know, we'll live long enough to see that. I, I really hope we do. But um, 
thoughts and prayers go out to Richard Holiday and his entire family. So, as of late, one thing that I have noticed in the world of wrestling is how, as of late, WWE and even AEW, ticket sales, for the most part, have been going really good. They are having either sellouts or near sellouts for their TV shows. I know Raw had a sellout this week. They were in Washington, D.C. And D.C. always has a good crowd. AEW had, I believe, a sellout or just about a sellout in Austin, Texas this week. So that's a very good sign. I think, and this is kind of kind of being overlooked in a way, but not really how we're starting to see ticket revenue go up, like the number of tickets being sold for WWE events and AEW events. Yeah, there are going to be some weeks where, you know, the ticket sales aren't as good as other weeks, but it seems like the last month, month and a half, maybe even two months, tickets have just been going. Like, it's been very good crowds, either sold out or close to being sold out. And it's just been fantastic to see, especially since we're coming up to the end of the year. We're coming to the new year, which means... We're almost on the road to WrestleMania. We got the Royal Rumble coming up, which has already set records. Uh, I I think for the gate, I know they've made millions of dollars on that already. They've sold a lot of tickets for the Royal Rumble. WrestleMania has done tremendously in Los Angeles for ticket sales. They're going to get a very good crowd on both nights this year. And AEW's been doing really good as of late. So I think it's something that we should keep an eye on the next several weeks and next several months as far as hey, these ticket these tickets are being sold and they're being sold at a very good time. I mean Survivor Series was sold out. Ted was there um a a couple of weeks ago. I have I haven't really had a chance to talk to him since he's been on vacation, you know, making a world tour for himself, but, um, no, it's been really good, I've noticed that, I'm not really sure how many others have noticed the, the sales of ticket prices, or the sales of tickets in general, but it's been really, really good, and I think it's something that we should keep our eye on for the rest of this year, and at least the beginning of next year, into WrestleMania, and let's see where things go from there. Alright, this weekend is the final weekend of pay-per-views slash premium live events slash uh, streaming specials, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. And we've got two shows happening this week. 
Uh, Ring of Honor is having Final Battle, and NXT is having Deadline, which is a brand new one. I, th- this is a new one. But let's start off with Ring of Honor and Final Battle. They have, as of this recording, seven matches on the card, and I think that is going to be the total number of matches we're going to get for this show. I have not heard of any others, but let's go through all of these matches. I'm going to give you guys my predictions as to who will win these matches. And one of the good things about this event, all the titles in Ring of Honor are going to be defended on this show. So we'll start off with the match that was announced this past Wednesday night on Dynamite. And I think this is going to be the end of the trilogy. A double dog collar match for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles. FTR defend against the Briscoes. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> the, the, the first match they had, WrestleMania weekend. Probably the match of the year for 2022. Then they had the rematch in the summer at Death Before Dishonor in a two out of three falls match that went over 40 minutes. This has to be the end to the trilogy, I do believe. And I think the Briscoes are going to win back the tag team titles. I think this would make them like 13-time Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, if my number is correct. So I'm going to say the Briscoes beat FTR and win back the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles. Next match is for the six-man tag team titles. Dalton Castle and the boys defend against the embassy of Brian Cage and Gates of Agony. Um, this is this is a tough one to pick. Now looking at it, um, I think we're gonna get new champions on this one. I think the Embassy is going to get some gold on them. Um, so I think Brian Cage and Gates of Agony are going to win pardon me are going to win the six man tag team titles then we have our only match that is not a title match swerve in our glory swerve strickland and keith lee against shane taylor promotions of shane taylor and jd griffey i smell a turn on this one i really do i smell Swerve Strickland turning on Keith Lee in this match. I'm going to say Taylor and Griffey win the match. Strickland will turn his back on Lee and that'll break up the team. Ring of Honor World Television title Samoa Joe defends against Juice Robinson. Uh, Robinson just recently signed a contract with AEW. Uh, this would be a pretty good opportunity, I think, for Juice to get the Ring of Honor television title, and I think he's going to get that title. So, I'm going to say Juice Robinson beats Samoa Joe for the Ring of Honor World television title. 
Then we go to the Ring of Honor Women's World Title match. Mercedes Martinez defends against Athena. Uh, I know Mercedes has come back recently from injury, but Athena has become this vicious heel, and I think it's maybe to her benefit. And I think we're going to get another title change. I think Athena is going to win the women's title on this match. Then we go to the Ring of Honor Pure Championship. Daniel Garcia defends against Wheeler Yuta. These two men have had two excellent matches for the title. One a death before dishonor. The other on an episode of Dynamite many months ago. Uh, it's tied up at one. So this is going to be the, the rubber match. The third and final match in the series. Uh... God, this this is going to be a real good match. Like, the two that they've already had this year were really good. Um, I think Wheeler Yuta's going to win the belt back and be the first ever two-time pure champion in Ring of Honor. I think Daniel Garcia, or Wheeler Yuta wins the belt back. And the main event of this show ring of honor world championship chris jericho defends against claudio castagnoli special stipulation for this match if claudio loses the match he will have to join the jericho appreciation society and for a while i thought for sure like almost a lock like jericho's gonna win this but then after seeing Dynamite this week, I'm like, maybe it's not really as strong of a, of a guarantee as I thought it would be. But I'm going to stick with my pick. I'm going to stick with Jericho retaining the title and Claudio ending up joining the Jericho Appreciation Society. But I wouldn't be upset if Claudio won the belt back. I, I really wouldn't, but... Um, all in all, this is looking to be a pretty good show. Uh, you're going to have closure on three rivalries, more than likely. You're going to have closure with FTR and the Briscoes. You're going to have closure with Daniel Garcia and Wheeler Yuta. And more than likely, you're going to have closure with Claudio and Chris Jericho. So, should be a pretty fun show. Now, that night... Uh, is NXT's final show or big show of the year, and it is NXT Deadline. Now I'm gonna go through the three matches, um, three matches real quick. Then I want to talk about this Iron Survivor Challenge that they are debuting and why I'm confused with um, the whole thing. So the three matches that I want to talk about first. Braun Breaker defending the NXT title against Apollo Crews. Pretty Deadly defending the NXT tag titles against The New Day. And Alba Fire against Isla Dawn. Uh, let's start with Alba Fire and Isla Dawn. This, this rivalry has developed over the last several weeks. Uh, Isla Dawn cost Alba Fire the NXT women's title. Pretty much a good setup there. I'm going to go with... Isla Dawn on this one. Get her a big time pay-per-view win 
over Alba Fire kind of set her in a position to be a a serious threat in 2023 for the women's title. NXT Tag Team Titles pretty pretty deadly defending against the New Day, and it's kind of weird because some people have picked the New Day to win the titles. And I'm not saying them winning the titles is a bad thing, but I'm just like, do we really need the New Day to be NXT Tag Team Champions? Like, I understand sending people from the main roster down, you know, for a sporadic appearance here or there, but I just don't see the New Day winning this match. I think Pretty Deadly will retain the NXT Tag Team titles. And then uh, Braun Breaker defending the NXT title against Apollo Crews. This is kind of set up saying basically Apollo is not going to win this match. Um, That Braun Breaker is going to hold on to this title and go into 2023 as the NXT champion. So I'm going to say Braun Breaker holds on to the NXT title. Now, the new match that they are going to have at this NXT show is called an Iron Survivor Challenge match. And this was first announced on NXT a few weeks ago, and then they did the whole thing where it's like it's going to be the men and the women competing, and they have rules. Had to get a drink real quick. So what are the rules of an Iron Survivor Challenge match? Well, I have them right here. Two wrestlers start the match, and every five minutes, another wrestler enters until all five participants are present. After the last wrestler enters, there is a predetermined time limit. Each time a wrestler scores a pinfall, submission, or being the victim of a disqualification, they gain a point. A wrestler who is pinned, submitted, or is disqualified goes into a penalty box for 90 seconds. The winner of the match is the wrestler who scores the most points at the end of the time limit. The winners of the men's and women's matches become the number one contenders for the NXT title and women's title, respectively. Okay, so what I'm getting from reading that is a vibe of this is a mixture of the championship scramble match that they had 10, 15 years ago and a King of the Mountain match from the TNA days. So, the, the basically what it is is you're going to have two people start and then every five minutes another person's going to come out until all five have come out and then whoever scores the most 
points at the end of the allotted time, which looks like it's 25 minutes, is going to be the winner. Huh. Well, let's see how this really plays out. Well, let's talk about the participants in the matches. Uh, the women's match, Zoe Stark, Cora Jade, Roxanne Perez, Kiana James, and Indy Hartwell are the five in this one. I do not see Zoe Stark winning this one because she has a feud or just started a feud with Nikita Lyons. I don't see her winning it. I don't see Kiana James winning it because I think she has something going on uh, with Chase U or something. So it comes down to Cora, Roxanne, and Indy. Any one of those three could win this match. But I'm going to go with Roxanne Perez on this one. I think I'm I think the youngster getting this big of a win would be huge, especially for her to get an opportunity to maybe be the face of the women's division in NXT in 2023. That would be a huge deal to her. So I'm going to say Roxanne Perez wins the Women's Iron Survivor Challenge. Now to the men. The men, it is Carmelo Hayes, J.D. McDonough, Grayson Waller, Joe Gacy, and Axiom. Right off the bat, I do not see J.D. McDonough winning this match. He had like two shots recently at the NXT title and couldn't get the job done. So he's out of the picture. I don't see Axiom winning it um, because he just got into the match. I just don't see him winning it. And I don't see Joe Gacy winning this one either. So it comes down to Grayson Waller and Carmelo Hayes. To me, Carmelo Hayes is the overall better wrestler of the two. This is a guy, and I'm making this prediction right now, in 2023, we're going to see Carmelo Hayes on the main roster. He is that good of a talent. He has the mic skills, he has the in-ring ability, he has the look, he has everything that you would want. Grayson Waller, it's like I've tried to get behind him, I just can't. I just can't get behind him. I don't know what it is. I just can't get behind him. So I'm going to say Carmelo Hayes wins the Men's Iron Survivor Challenge. So we'll see how that match goes, and we'll see if it's any good or if it's one of those we don't ever need to bring it up again. All right, so last night, uh, while a lot of us were asleep, the latest edition of the Wrestling Observer newsletter came out. And they came out with the 2022 Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. And this year was a pretty big, a pretty big deal because uh, Dave Meltzer had done a lot of changes to the voting. And what I mean by that, he did a different type of balloting. He put in 
a bunch of tag teams, and some of the wrestlers on the team are already in the Observer Hall of Fame. They changed the voting, the, the number of people you could vote for, from 10 to 18 maximum. But you also had a max maximized five people in each category. U.S. and Canada Historical, U.S. and Canada Modern, Japan, Mexico, rest of the world, and non-wrestlers. Now, U.S. and Canada Historical had eight because they figured all with all the tag teams added on that five wouldn't be enough. To get into the Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, you need 60% of the vote to get in. You need 60% to get in. Now, before I introduce, or before I read the class, or the ones that got voted in, there were two gentlemen that were selected as a historical figure, in a way, that were added into the Hall of Fame this year. They were not voted in. They were added on as historical figures. Both of them are promoters. They are Lou Darrow and Johnny Doyle. Um, There's actually a a good article on Lou Darrow. Johnny Doyle, Meltzer is going to put an article up on him in the very near future. But I wanted to mention those two. So now I'm going to read off in the order of they just got in. Basically, who got in from the lowest to the highest. So, the first person, last year, got 62... Or, no, last year, they got 58% of the votes. This year, they got 62%. The original Black Tiger Rollerball Mark Rocco. Next, this team was not even on the ballot last year and got 63% of votes. Los Villanos are in. This next individual had 38% of votes last year. This year, he has 65% of votes. And he is the leader of Los Ingobernables de Japón, Tetsuya Naito. This next individual got 54% of votes last year. This year got 65% of votes. It is Kota Ibushi. And last year, this person missed out on getting inducted by one vote, 59.7%. That's how close this person got in last year. This year, the most votes, 76% of votes. It is Mystico. And one other I want or one other I want to mention, uh I don't believe, oh, I do have their total here. 
they were first year as well. They had 76% of votes. The tag team of Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tao got in at 76% of votes. So, um, a few things before I get to the numbers here. Los Villanos and Akira Tao and Toshiaki Kawada join a very exclusive group for the Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. They join a very small list of people who were voted in on their first year of eligibility. The other individuals include Kurt, and this is in alphabetical order, Kurt Angle, Medico Assassino, Steve Austin, Dos Keras, John Cena, Gato, Akira Hokuto, Kenta Kobashi, Jushin Liger, Takashi Matsunaga, Shinsuke Nakamura, Manami Toyota, Kazuchika Okada, The Rock, Jim Ross, and Kazushi Sakuraba. That's a pretty that's that's pretty impressive right there. Okay. Now, uh, the next ten I'm going to read off are people that just missed out, but probably are going to be favorites to get in for 2023. Argentina Rocca and Miguel Perez, this was their first year on the ballot. They had 57% of the votes. Sergeant Slaughter, who came close last year at 59%, went down to 57%. Los Hermanos Dinamita, first year on the ballot, 57%. Jack and Jerry Briscoe, first year on the ballot, 53%. Rick and Scott Steiner, last year they were at 40%, this year 52%. Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldogs, first year on the ballot, 52% of the votes. George Kidd, last year 43% of the votes, this year 51%. Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, Last year, 35% of the votes. This year, 50% of the votes. Johnny Saint, last year, 45%. This year, 46%. And Bobby Davis, last year, 56% of the votes. This year, 45% of the votes. Uh, I do want to mention other names uh, that were on the ballot for the first time that are going to be on the ballot next year. The Royal Brothers at 37%, Kevin Carey and David Von Erich at 33%, Angel Blanco and Dr. Wagner at 32%, Roman Reigns, first year on the ballot, 31%, not bad. Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood, 29%, El Hijo del Santo and Octagon, 26%, The Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim Nyhart, 23%, Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada, 22%. Shingo Takagi, along with Rossi Ogawa, each at 21%. Becky Lynch, first year, 20%. Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch, 18%. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, 17%. Roy Welch, 15%. Antonio Inoki and Saiji Sakaguchi, along with Senshiro Takagi, at 14%. 
Mad Dog and Butcher Vashon at 13%, and Tiger Jeet Singh at 11%. Now, uh, a lot of people got dropped because they got less than 10 less than 10% of votes and a lot of them are tag teams but I'm going to read them I'm going to tell you them all Adrian Adonis and Jesse Ventura Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty the Rockers Blackjack Mulligan Harley Race and Larry Hennig Kinji Shibuya and Masa Saito Mr. Wrestling 1 and 2 Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee The New Age Outlaws Ricky Choshu and Animal Hamaguchi Naomichi Marafuji Rito Romero La Ange Blanc, Ricky Starr, and Lord James Blairs. Now, there, the one that surprises me the most is Marafuji. I, I, I thought he'd be on the ballot again next year, but he got less than 10%, which is surprising. I did not expect that to happen, so he is not going to be on the ballot next year. Dropped from the ballot because of the 15-year rule or under 50% uh, voting. Rocky Johnson and Enrique Torres are going to be dropped. Uh, I can get their numbers real quick. Uh, Hold on, let me... Okay, Enrique Torres had 42%. He needed at least 50 to stay on. And Rocky Johnson, where is Rocky? Is he even on the ballot? <laughs> Did he even get the 10%? Uh, he got 17%, so he is off the ballot for a while. So, uh, next year, people that will be dropped if they do not get at least 50%. Big Daddy, Kendo Nakasaki, Jackie Palo, and... Sergeant Slaughter. I think Slaughter's going to be fine. Um, I mean, he was at 59% last year. He only went down two. I think he's going to get in sooner or later. I really do. Now, added to the ballot next year. This is going to be interesting. John Moxley, Seth Rollins, the Young Bucks, and the Beauty Pair, the team of Jackie Sato and Mach. Fumiaki. So, from this news of uh, the people that got inducted who got voted in, Mystica was a no-brainer. He missed out by one vote last year. Should have been in last year, but he's now in this year. Uh, Kota Ibushi should be in. He's had great years um, before the injuries happen. Um, you wonder what more he could have done if he had not been injured. Naito, I think, is the big surprise for me. Not because I don't think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I do believe he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But he got over a 25% jump. He was in the 38% group last year. Let me tell you who got 38% this year from votes. Junkyard Dog, Tomohiro Ishii, Bobby Burns, and Larry Matisik. I don't know if either one of those four are going to get to 60% next year. Just saying. 
But Naito does deserve to be in. Uh, Los Villanos, big family in Mexico. Uh, the sons wrestled in Mexico after their dad. They deserve to be in. And Rollerball Mark Rocco, the original Black Tiger, one of the best technical wrestlers from England, definitely deserves to be in. And, and the same with Kawada and Tao, um, one of the best tag teams in Japan in the 1990s. They definitely deserve to be in. I am surprised that Rocca and Perez did not get voted in. I thought for sure they were going to get in this year. I really did. Um, I thought they'd get in. Get in. I thought the Briscoes would have gotten in this year, which surprises me, but they did not. Um, I'll tell you, the Steiners should be really happy with the votes that they got going from 40% to 52%, that just means it's probably going to be a matter of time before they get inducted. Paul Orndorff is another one. He went from 35% to 50%, a 15% jump. That's a big deal right there. Um, I'm looking at some others. Jim Johnston got a 9% jump. CM Punk, 8% jump. Junkyard Dog, 6% jump. Bobby Burns, a 12% increase there. Uh, let's see, who else? Dorel Dixon, a 7% increase. Jose Torres, a twenty a 17% increase in votes. Shima, an 11% increase. Randy Orton, 5%. Um, Tony Schiavone, 6%. Arn Anderson and Tony Blanchard, a 3% jump. The Hardy Boys, a 6% increase. Uh, June Byers, 5%. Or no, she went down 5%. Pardon me. Um, Adrian Street went up 6% in his votes. Spiros Arion went, went up 6%. Killer Carl Cox went up 10%. Joe Higuchi, 4% jump. Uh, Dave Brown, a 4% jump. Uh, trying to see who else here made a big jump. I think that's actually going to be it for that. Um, so, but yeah, uh, a, a very good class. This is a very good class. You have all over the world. You have the premier luchador of the 21st century in, in Mystico, the original Mystico. Uh, two of the best Japanese wrestlers of the last 10 years in Kota Ibushi and Tetsuya Naido. Royalty in Mexico in the Villanos. Mark Rocco, um, a, a legend in British wrestling. And Kawada and Tao, one of the premier tag teams of the 1990s in Japan. And also... The historic inductees, Lou Darrow and Johnny Doyle, uh, two of the leading promoters of the first half of the 20th century. Congratulations to all of them getting inducted into the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, which honestly, to me, I think is the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. I think it is the premier Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, but that's just me. All right, well, that is going to do it for this week's episode. If you guys have any questions or comments, 
send an email wrestlingman at that wrestling show.com you send a comment or a question it will be read on the podcast i'm actually gonna go check real quick if any of you guys sent sent me a little old email maybe you did maybe you didn't if you didn't it's okay we you know like to have some fun here uh any emails nope no emails but that's okay you guys can follow the show on twitter at wrestling show 11 follow us on instagram that wrestling show and join our facebook group that wrestling show fan group over 500 members on the group now to plug some friends of the podcast and podcasts you should check out starting with our vantage point the retro wrestling podcast with joe Morata and michael quinn uh this week they have a special butterfly effect what happens if hulk hogan stayed in the awa hmm very interesting plus a special review of championship wrestling from may 4th 1985 and they just put up today uh a new one for may 11th 1985 Check them out, Our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Their next episode, the 300th episode, is going to be their last one. And I'll tell you what's going to replace it in a couple of minutes. Also, check out Greetings from Allentown with Peter Winston and Don Keithy for GFA Live. This week, they watch an episode of NWA Pro from October 8th, 1988. That is this week on gfa live also check out juice pro wrestling where this week they interview AAA stars australian suicide and vanilla vargas and among the topics life as a married couple in wrestling you don't get to hear about that very often but should be a good conversation piece this week on juice pro wrestling also, check out the Memphis Continental Wrestling Cast with Luke Jennings, the number one Memphis-related podcast in the United Kingdom. As a matter of fact, it's the only Memphis-related podcast in the United Kingdom. But check it out anyway, the Memphis Continental Wrestling Cast. If you're looking for non-wrestling-related podcasts, check out Dave and Ethan's three or 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast where this week they have part two of their interview with the creator of the epic rap battles of history, Epic Lloyd, as he talks about uh, Weird Al being in an epic rap battle of history as Sir Isaac Newton. So check that interview out on Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. Check out the Three Stooges podcast with former guest Gabe Russo, where this week he reviews their 50th short, No Census, No Feeling. That is this week on the Three Stooges Throwback. Also, check out For Your Reference, a sports reference podcast, where this week the topic is untraditional draft picks. Should be a pretty fun topic there. Check it out for your reference, a sports reference podcast. And the biggie, the big news, Joe and Michael Quinn are doing Acid Washed Memories. Yes, it is going to be a full-time podcast. They put out their trailer. 
this past week. Their first episode comes out January the 9th, and you better believe that that show is going to get coverage. It's going to get plugged right here on That Wrestling Show. Check it out, Acid Washed Memories. You can sign up right now for you know to get the show, because when it comes out, believe me, it's going to be a hit. Also, check out Shark's Pond, a South Park podcast where I watch and review each and every South Park episode. This week, it's part two of the Black Friday trilogy as I review A Song of Ass and Fire. That is this week on Shark's Pond, a South Park podcast. And finally, check out Coliseum Corner where I review each and every Coliseum home video. This time, I reviewed the best of the WWF Volume 6. And believe me when I tell you, if you've never seen the best of the WWF Volume 6, this is going to be one you're going to want to watch. And you'll hear why in my review. That is on Coliseum Corner. Okay, I want to make an announcement uh, because we are coming down to the end of the year. Our last show of the year is in two weeks. That's going to be December 23rd. We're going to do something fun for the last show of 2022 for that wrestling show. We're going to do a special watch-along, or at least I'm going to do a watch-along, because I got a request about this time last year to watch an episode of Primetime Wrestling, and in particular... The December 24th, 1990 episode of Primetime Wrestling. So our last episode of the year is going to be a watch-along of the December 24th, 1990 Primetime Wrestling episode. Should be a lot of fun. Hope you guys have a safe and wonderful weekend. Have fun doing whatever it is that you do. And come back here next time for another episode of That Wrestling Show, the podcast where all pro wrestling matters. And as always, wrestle on.